Book Ten, Chapter Fourteen of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney, Chapter Fourteen. The Last Touches of the Picture late as edgar quitted the rectory he went not straight to beech park every tie both of friendship and propriety carried him first to dr marchmont who had too much feeling to wonder at the power of his late incitements and too much goodness of heart not to felicitate hint upon their issue though he sighed at the recollection of the disappointments whence his own doubting counsel originated twice betrayed in his dearest expectations he had formed two criterions from his peculiar experience by which he had settled his opinion of the whole female sex and where opinion may humour systematic prepossession who shall build upon his virtue or wisdom to guard the transparency of his impartiality the following day the west winds presented themselves at etherington hurried from a tour they were taking through devonshire and cornwall by intelligence which had reached them that sir hugh tyrold was ruined and cleves was to be let they met by chance with edgar alone in the parlour and the joy of the old gentleman in hearing how small a part of the rumour was founded in fact made him shake hands with him as cordially for setting him right as edgar welcomed his kindness from the pleasure afforded by the sight of such primitive regard but when presuming upon his peculiar intimacy in the family as ward of mr tyrold though without yet daring to avow his approaching nearer affinity edgar insisted upon his superior claim for supplanting them in taking charge of the debt of his guardian mr westwyn almost angrily protested he would let no man upon earth let him be whose ward be pleased shew more respect than himself for the brother of sir hugh tyrold and hals thinks the same too he added or he's no son of mine and so he'll soon show you in a way you can't guess i give you my word at least that's my opinion he then took his son apart and abruptly whispered to him as that pretty girl you and i took such a fancy to at southton served us in that shabby manner because of meeting with that old lord it's my opinion you do the right thing to take her sister, who's pretty near as pretty, and gives herself no airs, and that will be showing respect for my worthy old friend, now he's down in the world, which is exactly that he did for me when I was down myself. For if he had not lent me that thousand pounds I told you of, when not a relation I had would lend me a hundred, I might have been ruined before ever you were born. Come, tell me your mind, Hal. Off or on? don't stand shilly-shally it's what i can't bear speak honestly i won't have your choice controlled only this one thing i must tell you without ceremony i shall never think well of you again as long as i ever live if you demur so much as a moment it's what i can't bear it ain't doing a thing handsomely i can't say i like it the appearance of lavinia relieved the immediate embarrassment of henry while the modest pleasure with which she received them confirmed the partiality of both the eagerness however of the father admitted of no delay and when sir hugh entered the room 
the son's assent being obtained he warmly demanded the fair lavinia for his daughter-in-law sir hugh received the proposition with the most copious satisfaction mr and mrs tyrold with equal though more anxious delight and lavinia herself with blushing but unaffected hopes of happiness whatever was known to sir hugh no caution nor even his own best designs could save from being known to the whole house eugenia therefore was unavoidably informed of this transaction and the generous pleasure with which she revived from the almost settled melancholy left upon her by continual misfortunes justified the impatience of edgar to accelerate the allowed period for publishing his own happy history eugenia wept with joy at tidings so precious of her beloved sister through whom and her other dear friends she was alone she said susceptible of joy though to all sorrow she henceforth bid adieu for henceforth she cried i mean to regard myself as if already i had passed the busy period of youth and of life and were only a spectatress of others for this purpose i have begun writing my memoirs which will amuse my solitude and confirm my i hope philosophical idea she then produced the opening of her intended book section one no blooming coquette elated with adulation and triumphant with conquest here counts the glories of her eyes or enumerates the train of her adorers no beauteous prude repines at the fatigue of admiration nor bewails the necessity of tyranny o oh, gentle reader you have the story of one from whom fate has withheld all the delicacy of vanity all the regale of cruelty here interrupted the young biographer will follow my portrait and then this further address to my readers o oh, ye who young and fair revel in the attractions of beauty and exult in the pride of admiration say where is your envy of the heiress to whom fortune comes with such alloys and which however distressed or impoverished would accept my income with my personal defects yea too o lords of the creation mighty men impute not to native vanity the repining spirit with which i lament the loss of beauty attribute not the innate weakness of my sex the concern i confess for my deformity nor to feminine littleness of soul a regret of which the true source is to be traced to your own bosoms and springs from your own tastes for the value you yourself set upon external attractions your own neglect has taught me to know that the indifferency with which you consider all else your own duplicity has instructed me to feel camilla sought to dissuade her from reflections so afflictive and retrospections so poignant but they aided her she said in her task of acquiring composure for the regulation of her future life edgar now received permission to make his communication to the baronet the joy with which sir hugh heard it was for some time overclouded by doubt my dear mr young edgar he said in case you don't know your own mind yet in the point of its not changing again as it did before 
i'd as leave you would not tell me of it till you've taken the proper time to be at a certainty frettings about these ups and downs being what do no good to me in point of the gout but when thoroughly reassured well he cried this is just the thing i should have choose out of all our misfortunes being what makes me happier than ever i was in my life except once before on the very same account which all turned out to end in nothing which i hope won't happen any more for now i've only to pay off all our debts and then i may go back again to cleves which i shall be glad enough to do it being but an awkward thing to a man after his past boyhood having no home of his own a sigh at the recollection of the change in his situation since his plan was last agitated checked his felicity and depressed even that of edgar who with the most tender earnestness besought his leave to advance the sum requisite to return him tranquilly to his mansion but who could not prevail till camilla joined in the petition and permitted edgar in both their names to entreat as their dearest wish that they might be united according to the first arrangement from cleves this the baronet could not resist and preparations were rapidly made for reinstating him in his dwelling and for the double marriages destined to take place upon his return well then this cried he as he poured upon them his tenderest blessings and caresses is the oddest of all my dear little camilla that i took all my fortune from is the very person to give me hers as soon as ever she gets it as well as my own house over my old head again after my turning her as one might say out of it which is a thing as curious in point of us poor ignorant mortals as if my brother had put it in a sermon such turns in the tide of fortune said mr tyrrell are amongst the happiest lessons of humanity where those who have served the humble and helpless from motives of pure disinterestedness find they have made useful friends for themselves in the perpetual vicissitudes of our unstable condition why then there's but one thing more by what i can make out said the baronet that need be much upon my mind and that i've been thinking some time about in point of forming a scheme to get rid of which i think i've got a pretty good one for here's lavinia going to be married to the very oldest friend i have in the world that is to his son which is the same thing in point of bringing us all together and my own dear little girl to the best gentleman in the county except for that one thing of going off at the first which i dare say he did not mean for which reason i shall mention it no more and indiana to one of those young captains that i can't pretend i know much of but that's very excusable in so young a person not having had much head from the beginning which i always make allowance for my own not being over extraordinary and eugenia poor thing being a widow already for which god be praised which i hope is no sin in point of the poor lad that's gone not belonging to any of us by what i can make out except by his own doing whether we would or not which however is neither here nor there now he's gone for eugenia being no beauty and clermont having as good as said so i suppose she thought she must not be too difficult which is a thing young girls are apt to fall into and boys too for the matter of that 
for by what i can make out of life i don't see but what a scholar thinks a girl had better be pretty than not as much as another man but what my dear brother said mr tyrrell is your new distress and new scheme why i can't say but what i'm a little put out that indiana should forget poor mrs margland in the particular of asking her to go to live with her which however i dare say she can't help those young captains commonly not over liking having elderly persons about them not that i mean to guess her age which i take to be fifty and upwards which is no point of ours but the thing i'm thinking of is dr orkborn in the case of their marrying one another my dear brother has any such idea occurred to them not as i know of but indiana having done with one and eugenia with the other and me lord help me not wanting either of them why what can i do if they won't the doctors asked to go to town for the sake of printing his papers which i begged him not to hurry for i'm but little fit for learned conversation just now though when he's here he commonly says nothing only taking out his tablets to write down something that comes into his head as i suppose which i can't say is very entertaining in the light of a companion however as to his having called me a blockhead it's not what i take umbrage at not being a wit being a fault of no man's except of nature nobody has a right to be angry at besides as to his having a little pride it's what i owe him no ill-will for a scholar having nothing else but his learning is excusable for making the most of it however if they would marry one another i can't but say i should take it very well of them the only thing i know against it is the mortal dislike they have to one another and that my dear brother is the point i want to consult you about for then we shall be got off all round which would be a great thing of my mind when the happy day arrived for returning to cleves sir hugh retook possession of his hospitable mansion amidst the tenderest felicitations of his fond family and the almost clamorous rejoicings of the assembled poor of the neighborhood and the following morning mr tyrrell gave the hand of lavinia to harry westwind and dr marchmont united them and edgar glowing with happiness now purified from any alloy received from the same revered hand and owed to the same honored voice the final and lasting possession of the tearful but happy camilla what further remains to finish this small sketch of a picture of youth may be comprised in a few pages indiana was more fortunate in her northern expedition than experiments of that nature commonly prove mcdersey was a man of honor and possessed better claims to her than he had either language or skill to explain but the good lord o'lerney who to benevolence the most cheerful and kines the least severe joined judgment and generosity acted as the guardian of his kinsman and placed the young couple in competence and comfort the profession of mcdersey obliging him to sojourn frequently in country quarters indiana when the first novelty of a tete-a-tete -tete was over wished again for the constant adulatress of her charms and endowments and to the inexpressible rapture of sir hugh solicited miss margland to be her companion 
and the influence of constant flattery was so seductive to her weak mind that though insensible to the higher motive of cherishing her in remembrance of her long cares she was so spoilt by her blandishments and so accustomed to her management that she parted from her no more lavinia with her deserving partner spent a month between cleves and etherington and then accompanied him and his fond father to their yorkshire estate and residence like all characters of radical worth she grew daily upon the esteem and affection of her new family and found in her husband as marked a contrast with clermont linmer to annul all hypotheses of education as lord o'lerney cool rational and penetrating opposed to macdersey wild eccentric and vehement offered against all that is national brought up under the same tutor the same masters and at the same university with equal care equal expense equal opportunities of every kind clermont turned out conceited voluptuous and shallow henry modest full of feeling and stored with intelligence lionel first enraged but next tamed by the disinheritance which he had drawn upon himself had ample subject in his disappointment to keep alive his repentance and though enabled to return from banishment by the ignominious condemnation with another culprit of the late partner in his guilt he felt so lowered from his fallen prospects and so gloomy from his altered spirits that when his parents satisfied with his punishment held out the olive branch to invite him home he came forth again rather as if condemned than forgiven and folly wanting fortitude either to see or to avoid his former associates he procured an appointment that carried him abroad where his friends induced him to remain till his bad habits as well as bad connections were forgotten and time aided adversity in forming him a new character clermont for whom his uncle bought a commission fixed himself in the army though with no greater love of his country than was appendant to the opportunity it afforded of showing his fine person to regimental advantage mrs arlbury was amongst the first to hasten with congratulations to camilla with too much understanding to betray her pique upon the error of her judgment as to the means of attaching mandelbert she had too much goodness of heart not to rejoice in the happiness of her young friend mrs lisson who accompanied her in the wedding visit confessed herself the most disappointed and distressed of human beings she had not she said half so much liberty as when she lived with her papa and heartily repented marrying and wished she had never thought of it the servants were always teasing her for orders and directions everything that went wrong it was always she who was asked why it was not right when she wanted to be driving about all day the coachman always said it was too much for the horses when she travelled the maids always asked her what must be packed up if she happened to be out at dinner-time mr lisson found fault with everything's being cold if she wanted to do something she liked she said she had better let it alone and in fine 
her violent desire for this state of freedom ended in conceiving it a state of bondage she found her own house the house of which she must take the charge being her own mistress having the burthen of superintending a whole family and being married becoming the property of another to whom she made over a legal right to treat her just as he pleased and as she had chosen neither for character nor for disposition neither from sympathy nor respect she found it hard to submit where she meant to become independent and difficult to take the cares where she had made no provision for the solaces of domestic life the notable mrs mittin contrived soon to so usefully ingratiate herself in the favour of mr dennell that in the full persuasion she would save him half his annual expenses he married her but her friend mr clykes was robbed in his journey home of the cash which he had so dishonourably gained the first care of edgar was to clear every debt in which camilla had borne any share and then to make over to lavinia the little portion intended to be parted between the sisters henry would have resisted but mr tyrrell knew the fortune of edgar to be fully adequate to his generosity and sustained the proposition sir sedley clarendon received his two hundred pounds without opposition though with surprise and was dubious whether to rejoice in the shackles he had escaped or to lament the charmer he had lost sir hugh would suffer no one but himself to clear the depths of his two nephews or refund what had been advanced by his excellent old friend mr westwin he called back all his servants liberally recompensed their marked attachment provided particularly for good old jacob and took upon himself the most ample reward for the postilion who meant to rescue eugenia the prisoner and his wife now worthy established cottagers were the first at the entrance of beech park to welcome the bride and bridegroom and little peggy higden was sent for immediately and placed with extremest kindness where she might rise in use and in profit lord o'lerney was sedulously sought by edgar who had the infinite happiness to see camilla a selected friend of lady isabella Irby, whose benevolent care of her in the season of her utter distress had softly enchained her tenderest gratitude and had excited in himself an almost adoring respect melmont had received in time the caution of camilla to prevent the meeting to which the baseness of bellamy was deluding his misguided sister through her own wild theories he forbore to blast her fame by calling him publicly to account and ere further arts could be practised bellamy was no more mrs burlington in the shock of sudden sorrow shut herself up from the world claims of depths of honour which she had no means to answer pursued her in her retreat she became at once the prey of grief repentance and shame and her mind was yet young enough in rome to be penetrated by the early chastisement of calamity removed from the whirl of pleasure which takes reflection from action and feeling from thought she reviewed with poignant contrition her graceless misconduct 
with regard to Eugenia, detested her infatuation, and humbled herself to implore forgiveness. Her aunt seized the agitating moment of self-upbraiding and worldly disgust to impress upon her fears the lessons of her opening life, and thus, repulsed from passion and sickened of dissipation, though too liberally instructed for cheerful and rational piety, she was happily snatched from utter ruin by protecting though eccentric enthusiasm. Eugenia for some time continued in voluntary seclusion, happily reaping from the fruits of her education and her virtues, resources and reflections for retirement that robbed it of weariness. The name, the recollection of Bellamy, always made her shudder, but the peace of perfect innocence was soon restored to her mind. The sufferings of Mrs. Burlington from self-reproach taught her yet more fully to value the felicity of blamelessness, and the generous liberality of her character made the first inducement she felt for exertion the benevolence of giving solace to a penitent who had injured her. Melmont, long conscious of her worth, and disgusted with all that had rivalled it in his mind, with the fervour of sincerity, yet diffidence of shame and regret, now fearfully sought the favour he before had reluctantly received. But Eugenia retreated. She had no courage for a new engagement, no faith for new vows, no hope for new happiness, till his really exemplary character, with the sympathy of his feelings, and the similarity of his taste and turn of mind with her own, made the Tyrols, when they perceived his ascendance, second his wishes. Approbation so sacred, joined to a prepossession so tender, soon conquered every timid difficulty in the ingenious Eugenia, who, in his well-earned esteem and grateful affection, received at length the recompense of every exerted virtue and the solace of every past suffering. Melmont, in a companion delighting in all his favourite pursuits, and capable of joining even in his severer studies, found a charm to beguile from him all former regret, while reason and experience endeared his ultimate choice. Eugenia, once loved, was loved for ever. Where her countenance was looked at, her complexion was forgotten, while her voice was heard, her figure was unobserved. Where her virtues were known, they seemed but to be enhanced by her personal misfortunes. The baronet was enchanted to see her thus unexpectedly happy, and soon transferred to Melmont the classical respect which Clermont had forfeited, when he concurred with Eugenia in a petition that Dr. Orkborn, without further delay, might be enabled to retire to his own plans and pursuits, with such just and honourable consideration for labours he well knew how to appreciate, as his friend Mr. Tyrrell should judge to be worthy of his acceptance. With joy expanding to that thankfulness which may be called the beauty of piety, the virtuous Tyrrells, as their first blessings, received these blessings of their children and the beneficent Sir Hugh felt every wish so satisfied, he could scarcely occupy himself again with the project, save 
a maxim of prudence drawn from his own experience which he daily planned teaching to the little generation rising around him to avoid from the disasters of their uncle the dangers and temptations to their descendants of unsettled collateral expectations thus ended the long conflicts doubts suspenses and sufferings of edgar and camilla who without one inevitable calamity one unavoidable distress so nearly fell the sacrifice to the two extremes of imprudence and suspicion to the natural heedlessness of youth unguided or to the acquired distrust of experience that had been wounded edgar by generous confidence became the repository of her every thought and her friends read her exquisite lot in a gaiety no longer to be feared while faithful to his word making etherington cleves and beech park his alternate dwellings he rarely parted her from her fond parents and enraptured uncle and dr marchmont as he saw the pure innocence open frankness and spotless honour of her heart found her virtues her errors her facility or her desperation but a picture of youth and regretting the false light given by the spirit of comparison in the hypothesis which he had formed from individual experience acknowledged its injustice its narrowness and its arrogance what at last so diversified as man what so little to be judged by his fellow end of book 10 chapter 14 read by lars rolander and thereby the end of the book camilla or a picture of youth by fanny burney thank you so much for listening we hope you have enjoyed it